can go ahead and find your seats. And if you have a Bible that you brought with you, uh, or if you're going to use one that's maybe under one of the seats in front of you, I would invite you to open up to Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is where we're going to spend some time this morning. Um, we've got a, a special day today where we're not going to be working in a series. Uh, next week, I'm going to invite you guys to come back. We are going to start our series and study in the book of Daniel, uh, which I'm just going to say, I get excited about doing a lot of series, but I am pumped about doing Daniel. So I am so excited to, to jump into that. And that, that series will take us up to about just before Mother's Day. So we'll be, we'll be sitting in the book of Daniel. I think we have about 13, maybe 14 uh, sermons that we'll do out of the book of Daniel. So really, really looking forward to it. Um, I'm going to take this opportunity real quick to plug small group. Uh, so if you've not been part of a small group and want to try to unpack Daniel alongside other people, uh, we will be kicking that off next week or this coming week in small groups. Um, we've got packets uh, in the back, so if you are in a small group, make sure you grab one of those. If you're not, feel free to grab one too if you want to just kind of follow along with your own study. Uh, the packets that are out there will take us through the end of Daniel chapter 6, so they'll have the first six lessons uh, included in that. But a great, great series coming up. Uh, really looking forward to that. But today uh, we are going to continue kind of in our theme that we've been talking about uh, throughout the day, the goodness of God. I've uh, titled today's sermon, Taste and See, uh, because in Psalm 34, uh, David invites us uh, later, as we'll see, to taste and see of the goodness of God. And then it's one of those small things that maybe you guys didn't pick up on. It wasn't really coordinated this way. Uh, but the second song that we sang today, we sang the words, taste and see the goodness of, that the Lord is good, right? And so I was like, wow, that's so great how it uh, kind of lines up with uh, what we're going to be talking about today in Psalm 34. Now, my guess is, that uh, most of you, uh, as you went through the process of researching and uh, planning what gifts you were going to buy for loved ones this Christmas season, that you probably utilized a sometimes helpful tool. And that tool is the reviews on different products. I don't know about you, but I know for me, normally when I'm uh, purchasing something, say on Amazon, uh, I go and I at minimum want to look for the how many stars does this product have. Uh, if it's got a low star rating, I'm probably going to stay away from it. I'm looking for things that are four star and above because that tells me that other people have purchased this product or done this thing and had a very positive experience with it. It gives me greater confidence in purchasing it myself or giving it to somebody else. You know, as I wonder, is this thing going to hold up? Is it going to function the way that it's advertised to function? Is this worth investing in? And we do this for all kinds of things. The reality is we leave reviews for a ton of different things in life. Uh, sometimes those are formal reviews where we'll go online and we'll uh, give something a four-star rating or, or whatever. We'll leave a, leave a written review that talks about our experience with something. Uh, but most of us 
probably leave reviews in more organic ways. It's, it's the conversations that we have with family or friends or we talk about uh, you know, something that we did or, or maybe someplace we went. You've got to experience this. Oh, we got this new thing and it has changed our lives. Like We never thought that such a small product would be so great. You've got to pick one up. Here's where you can buy it. Here's how much it costs. What a great deal for the price. All of these things. But sometimes reviews also work the other way, don't they? Whatever you do, stay away from that. Don't go there. Don't do this. And in our lives, whether actively or even passively, uh, in some ways act as a walking uh, review system for different things, which is great. With that means that we also do the same thing with God. We don't often think about our life being, in in essence, a walking review of who God is. But isn't that the case? The way we talk about Him, the way we live, aren't these things part of, in essence, leaving a review about who God is? This morning, we're going to be talking about the goodness of God. We talk a lot about the goodness of God. If your life is that walking review of the goodness of God, what kind of review are you leaving? It's a helpful question to ask, and and with it comes the, the really important question to ask of what exactly do we mean when we talk about the goodness of God? And I say that that's an important question because instinctively we might say, well, duh, it means that God's good. But within each of us, And within people all around us, there are certain assumptions of what the goodness of God really means. And so it's helpful for us to stop for a moment and ask that question, what do we mean when we talk about the goodness of God? When we say that God is good, what are we saying? Because some people will struggle to believe that God is good, particularly when they're going through troubled times. When they're going through hardships, maybe it's death, maybe it's loss or health complications or a job conflict or or maybe financial struggles or uh, one person I was talking to over the last few weeks was was saying they're really struggling to, to believe that God is good and to trust him because things are taking longer than they wish. Is God really good? Is he really working this out? And we, we will struggle to say that we think that God isn't good, but we kind of say it because we will, we will weave it into our conversation. I'm just having a hard time believing God's good. Or I'm having a hard time trusting in the goodness of God in those hardships, in those difficult days. On the flip side of it, we're oftentimes really quick to say that God is good when things are going well. It would be very easy for me to have stood right down here as I did and say, God is good because we met the financial goal for the church and exceeded it. But what if we hadn't? Could I still stand and say, God's good even though we're struggling as a church financially? What about when that comes to our own lives? Just because we get a promotion, just because we may, you know, find that relationship. If you think back to some of that stage in life, you're like, yeah, you know, I, I found this person. God's so good. 
We were able to buy that new car or, or move into that new house. God's so good. This is why it's important to say, what do, we, what do we mean when we talk about the goodness of God? Because sometimes we can so easily begin to define God's goodness based on the circumstances of life. God's good when life's good. Maybe, maybe he's not so good when life's not so good. And it almost sounds, you're like, I can't say that. But the heart feels it. The brain might think it. What do we mean when we say that God is good? When we talk about the goodness of God, we are talking about a fundamental attribute of God's nature. God is good. That means that in the, the days where you may be having a, a difficult season of life and you may be struggling with believing in the goodness of God or trusting in the goodness of God, somebody else might be having the best time of life. So it would seem inconsistent to merely define God's goodness based on circumstances because how could he be not good in your case and the best goodness in someone else's or vice versa? As if God's nature changed based on what we're going through in life. God is good. His goodness is fundamental and essential to his nature and his being. Therefore, God is good when life's good. And God is good when life is a mess. His goodness does not change. What might be more helpful for us to say is that we may experience God's goodness in the circumstances of life. Well, that would make a lot of sense then. Because if God is good, whether life's great or life's in shambles, we can experience his goodness, maybe in the good times, in his blessings, and, and maybe in his provision, and all of those things where we would naturally think to say that he's good. But in the bad times, in the hard times, perhaps we experience his goodness, but in a different way. Is it wrong to say that we experience God's goodness by him giving us the strength to stand up and endure a hardship? Can't we say that God is good because he has given us a peace in the midst of the chaos of life? God's good. Couldn't we say that when we have nothing else, when all of life seems like it's crumbling around, that we could say God is good because I have learned that he's enough. He's enough. When the checkbook doesn't balance... When the conflict doesn't seem to stop, God is my refuge, God is my peace, God is my provision. That if I had nothing else, man, now I know that God's good in a different way than I would know his goodness in the good days. We experience the goodness of God in the circumstances of life. But God's goodness does not change based on the, on the circumstances of life. God is good. It means who he is is good. 
That means what he does is good. That means what he thinks is good. That means what God decrees is good. That means what God loves is good. God is good. It's fundamental to who he is. Now, we haven't talked about Psalm 34 yet. In Psalm 34, David is praising God for his goodness. But not just that, he invites other people in to experience the goodness of God themselves. I don't know about what your heading is. In the ESV, my heading for the whole psalm says, Taste and see, the Lord is good. In the the context for this psalm, and this is what I love about some of the places in Scripture, we get to know the very circumstance in which David was talking about the goodness of God. Now, and his experience of it, in which he's going to talk about what God's goodness is and how our experience of that works out through the psalm. But there at the beginning, before verse 1, at least here in, in my Bible, it says it's a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Great! Well, what, is the, what on earth does that mean? Well, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 21... If you remember the story of David and anything that's going on with David, uh, there's a point in David's life where he was running away from King Saul. Right? Do you remember this? This is, this is what's happening. That's where this is coming out of. And so in, in 1 Samuel 21, David flees to go to the city of Gath. And when he gets there, he comes before the king of, of Gath. That would be Abimelech. And he comes before him. And when he comes before Abimelech, some of the king's servants recognize David. And they say, wait a second, isn't this that David that the, that the people sing about in songs? You know, the, the Saul's killed his hundreds, but David his thousands, right? And they, this great and wonderful man, isn't, isn't that who we're talking about? And I don't know, we're not really told exactly what happened, but we're told that because of that, David feared for his life. And what he did is he started to act like a madman. That's why in the beginning here says he changed his behavior. He started to act like he had lost his mind. And in 1 Samuel 21, we're told that he started making scratch marks on the doors and he, he let his drool go down his beard and he started acting like a crazy man. You're like, what an insane story. You're like, that story's in the Bible? It is. And Psalm 34 comes out of it because Abimelech looks at this Madman and says, Don't we have enough madmen? Why are you bringing another one before me? Get him out of here. And he lets him go. And David writes Psalm 34 I'll Taste and see that God is good. And it's a little weird in some ways because you look at it and you're like, Okay, it sure seems at least like, I don't know, maybe David's own creativity, his own wit got him out of the circumstance. Is, is God still good if he didn't get released? Is it only because he was delivered that we're going to sing of God's goodness? Just hard things to think about, but he invites us to come in. So before we start talking through this anymore, it's important we, we read the psalm. And normally with, with stuff like this, I'm inclined to want to say, hey, let's just look at verses as we talk about them. But I want to kind of get a sense for the whole thing. So if you've got Psalm 34 open, we're just going to read through Psalm 34 together. And if, by the way, you're interested at all, there's a song that you can listen to online. You can go look it up later. That is most of Psalm 34 put to music. It's, it's pretty cool. And a reminder that the psalms are, are written as prayers and songs. But 
that's for another time for you to deal with that. Psalm 34, David writes this. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Which right then and there answers that question. Are we only going to bless the Lord in the good? Because he was living, I'm going to bless him at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear toward their cry. Since the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, and not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Lord, we come before you and are eager to look into this psalm and the, and the, the hope that it offers and, and the invitation that it offers for us to come and taste and see that you are good. Or that we might know your goodness, we might experience your goodness, that we might, we might be able to speak to your goodness. And Lord, we look forward to that. We look forward to all of it. Your deliverance, your faithfulness, your pres uh, preserving us through the difficulties of life. It's you who we take refuge in. So we pray these things now and ask a blessing on our, our uh, conversation ahead that it might be honoring and glorifying to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now as we... As we dive into this a little bit, it's going to be helpful for us to affirm some of the realities of God's goodness uh, that are highlighted in this psalm. And as we uh, talk about the, these realities of God's goodness, we've talked already about what God's goodness is. When we talk about these, we're going to be talking about kind of our experience of God's goodness. If God is good in all circumstances, in the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? I, I often think to what we'll talk about in a few weeks with Daniel chapter 3, uh, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they're threatened to go into the fiery furnace. Well, what God is going to save you? And they say, what? Our God can and he will, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. 
right? That we believe the same things. Our, can, our God can and he will deliver us from all manner of hardships. But even if he doesn't, it doesn't change who he is. He's still God. But our experience of these things offer us some understanding to, to, to going through the hardships and to navigating life. So the realities of God's goodness, the first one we're talking about is that our experience of God's goodness as we see David talking about it here, brings us security. Our experience of God's goodness, whether in good or bad, brings us security. Look at verse 5 of this psalm with me. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never ashamed. Now if you could for a second, you probably know somebody who's in that, that maybe uh, that honeymoon phase of a relationship where where their face is just lit up like the fourth of july anytime you talk about their significant other anytime they start talking about it they just seem to gush and you know, maybe you can think back to or maybe you're living in this stage of life or you know what it, it doesn't matter at all what life's got as long as i've got you we can conquer all of the world's hardships as long as we're together and we've got this. And you look at these people's faces and maybe it's your own face as you look in the mirror and your face is radiant, just beaming with joy and smiling and all is great and good. And David says, listen, those who look to the Lord, their faces are radiant. Nothing can bring them down and they will not be ashamed. It's not going to turn out poorly for them. You look upon the Lord. You look to God. That's the best place you can look. Because as he talks about, the Lord will deliver. He will be in the midst. And let's not again begin to think so circumstantially because God can deliver and carry us through the hardships of life, not just by resolving those things. The Lord can be our strength. He can be our, our guide. He can be our peace and our comfort. He can be all of these things as we go through life. That to look upon Him is the one place that we can look where we will not come up ashamed. Because if you want to put your security in life, in anything else, it may be subject to change. You want to put your security in your skills. What happens when you get in a car accident and you can no longer work with your hands? Not so much security. You want to put your security in your bank account. What happens when you don't have your job? And that comes to question. Not so much security. You want to put your security on that person. What happens when they let you down? Not so much security. But you look to the Lord, and God tells us in his word that you will not be ashamed. There is a level of security in experiencing God's goodness in knowing it in whatever season of life you may be in right here and right now. You can taste and see that the Lord is good. Look at verse 7. David talks about the angel of the Lord encamping around those who fear him. And it speaks to this, uh, this picture, if you will, probably uh, not so much a literal everywhere around you. You have an army that is encamped in your presence, but uh, this picture of God's protection, 
that you can rest at peace at night knowing that you're safe and secure in the hands of God. That He's got you. That when you may not have yourself, He does. There is security in that. Oh, won't we taste and see that the Lord is good? When we enter into this this opportunity to go and see that God is good, blessed are those who take refuge in Him. Blessed are those who place their confidence in the Lord. Verse 10 speaks to God's provision for all that we need in life. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And it takes me right back to those conversations you have as a kid where it's the difference between need and want. I need this. No, you don't. You want this. And you might want it really bad. But there's the difference between need and want. And God will meet the needs of his people. Our needs just aren't always what we think they are. For those of you who've walked with the Lord for any period of time, you may be able to look back on seasons and circumstances of life where in the moment maybe you were thinking where where is God what is he doing that in the moment you couldn't see it you didn't know it but you look back on it and you're like how did I miss it how did, I not, how did I not perceive all that God was doing there? Sometimes time gives us that perspective. To look back and see God's faithfulness. Maybe when in the moments we were kicking and screaming and maybe even accusing him of being unfaithful and not having our back. And we may look back and say, oh Lord, did I have it wrong? Our experience of God's goodness brings us security in life. It stabilizes us from riding the high too hard or thinking that it's all because of us or from crashing too low and thinking that all hope is lost. God's goodness brings a stability to us. Now, I don't know if you'd call it anecdotally uh, perceiving this or what, but my own observation that I've been paying attention to over the last few years, uh, you begin looking at the lives of people. You do that when you're in ministry. You get involved in people's lives. And you start to see patterns. And one of the things I've just observed is that those who have placed their full confidence and hope and taken refuge in the Lord seem to be a rock in storms. I mean, it almost seems sometimes like you hear uh, and come alongside people as they're going through the grit of life and just the, the hardships and you watch how they're going through it and you see the resolve and you see the, the unwavering determination to continue to walk with the Lord. The, the humble faith that says, I don't know, but I trust in a God who does. 
These people are unwavering. When God is their rock, when God is the foundation of their life, whatever storm may come, it seems as though they can endure anything. On the flip side, you have times where you observe the lives of people who they're on shaky ground. Maybe they're, they're coming and they're looking for something and they're, they're, their life seems to be falling apart around them and they've not placed their life on anything solid. And you can see that just that sometimes it, it seems as though people are doing whatever they can just to keep their heads above water and to stop from drowning. And it's a struggle and a fight. And I don't say this in any way, and I'm not saying this because of anybody in this room, I'm saying this because just observations that I've made that when you place your faith, you place your confidence, you take your refuge and your hope, and you place that all on the Lord, it's going to change the way you go through life. So I say that to pose you the question, which would you rather be? Would you rather be in the position where we're going through the good and the bad and the ugly of life and all that comes with it that you can stand on a solid rock and weather those things? Not knowing, just as none of us do, not knowing exactly how things are going to pan out, but you can stand there and say, I know my God is sovereign. I know he is powerful. I know he hears my cry for help. I know he is with me. And so I can stand here not on my own two feet because I'm standing in his strength. I'm standing on his promises. And that's enough to get you through the night to the next morning. Or are you the person who's saying, you know, I'm going to carry the burden myself. And then when you get knocked down, man, you've got to take every ounce within you to get back up and just try to keep going and fight and flounder just to keep your head above water. Which would you rather be? Neither are easy, by the way. But how do you go through it? Blessed are those who take refuge in the Lord. At some point, guys, we have to take God at his word or throw the whole thing out. Is it true? Is it true? Is that something that you can build your life on? Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I, I put it that way because... David in the psalm talks about the, in our experience of God's goodness that God's goodness is set toward the righteous. And that sounds like maybe something that's, that seems maybe a little bit on the edge to say. But look at verses 15 through 18 with me. The eyes of the Lord are toward everybody and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against nobody to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When anybody cries for help, the Lord hears and delivers them from all their trouble. The Lord is near to everybody and saves everybody. Is that what the psalm says? No. Do we take God at his word or not? The experience of God's goodness is set toward the righteous. And I'm not trying to be self-righteous in saying that. Let me just say what the good book says. 
The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his ear toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all their trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. There is righteous and evil. There's really no in-between. We tend to look at these things as if they are a continuum. To be more righteous or more evil, but not absolute. Well, the scriptures say towards the righteous or towards the wicked. You're either with God or you're against God. Which are you? What does that mean? There's great confidence for us in this. That, that may seem like a burden too high to bear. I try to be as good as I can be, but I just, I'm having a hard time with it. And maybe this is where we begin to look at God's goodness more circumstantially again. I try to be as good as I can be, but hard times seem to keep coming. When will the Lord bless my righteousness? Is that what it says? We can experience his goodness when we walk righteously before him. Spurgeon is quoted saying, what a sad, hopeless world it would be if there were no God to call upon. Or if God were a God who might or might not hear our prayers at all. Or if he were a God governed by emotions, that one day he hears the prayer of the righteous and the next day shows favor to the wicked and then, then to neither, and who answers prayer according to no certain reliable rule. What a sad, hopeless world it would be. But God's word says that when we walk righteously before him, he hears our cry, he hears our prayer, and he meets us in those moments. Frankly speaking, it is a good thing for the world that God is merciful. And gracious because in his justness the wicked do not deserve at all to experience the goodness of God and before we put ourselves on a pedestal let's not forget that in and of ourselves, apart from Christ, that's us. Whatever righteousness you have is not because you have been righteous. Whatever righteousness you have is Christ's righteousness in you. So it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. There's no boasting. There is no bragging. There's no grounds for, for self-credit in this. It goes back to the Lord. And it makes perfect sense 
biblically speaking, to say that those who are walking faithfully before the Lord are those who will experience God's goodness in their life. So, as we enter into a new year, and no doubt in this room there's a number of different goals or dreams for the year ahead. Some of you probably have set goals, I want to read the Bible in a whole year. Some of you have maybe said, hey, I want to, I want to be more committed in my relationship with God. And you define that by whatever means you have defined that. If you want to experience the goodness of God in greater ways in the year ahead, walk righteously and faithfully before Him. When it's easy, when it's convenient, and when it's not. We walk before a holy and just God who is not fooled by putting smiling faces on, but a God who sees to the depths of who you are, a God who will not be mocked. So walk faithfully before him. Then I'm going to talk about here our response to God's goodness. How do we respond to the goodness of God? We do so as we see David doing here by responding with reverence. Reverence for God in our actions and our attitudes. This is where the rubber meets the road. Will you put into practice these things? See, David did not boast in himself. Verse 2, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. When he speaks of boasting, he's talking about that upon which you might find value in yourself. In other words, what's perceived as the greatest part of a man. What is your boast? That I work hard every day. That's your boast? What's your boast? That I'm kind as much as I can to anybody. That's it? That's your boast? Your boast is in the Lord. And when that's your boast, that means that the fundamental value to who you are as a person is not yourself. Your boast is in God. He's it. He's everything. He deserves the credit for all of it. I am not who I am today because of myself. I am who I am today because of the Lord, because of His mercy, because of His grace, because of His patience. Thank you, God, in my life. Because He has shaped me and molded me and called me and placed me. It's He who deserves the glory. It's He who deserves the praise. David's boast was in 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 himself and neither is ours. Albert Barnes says that of all the things that we can possess in this world, the crowning distinction is that we have a God and that He is such a being as He is. That's it. That's your boast. That you have a God. And that He is who He is. 
That's what brings stability in your life. That's what brings value in our lives because God is God. And so we revere Him by responding with our actions and our attitudes and our affections, saying, I'm going to love the things that God loves. I'm going to hate the things that God hates. I'm going to do the things that God has called me to do. I'm going to think of the things that God has called me to think on. And I'm going to be faithful as as His power works in me to do that, to honor Him. Because He's God. I will treat him as such. Then as we experience his goodness, we have opportunity then to reveal it to other people. Sometimes when we have the hardest times sharing our faith and our hope, it's because if we're real honest, we have a hard time feeling it ourselves. But when we experience the goodness of God, we are to invite other people into it. Now, this doesn't mean that all of God's goodness is experienced corporately, right? There's certain things that we experience together of God's goodness, absolutely. But David can say, as he did in verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. There's a personal experience. You can say the same thing. I sought the Lord and he answered me. Something unique, a unique circumstance, a unique time, a unique moment of your life that you sought the Lord and he answered you. Now, is that answer always what you prayed the answer would be? No, but he answered. And maybe you didn't understand his goodness in it in the moment, but later you can say, ah, I see. What a good God. And then we get to invite other people into that. Say, come, taste and see that God is good. This is where I'm talking about the reviews because sometimes as Christians, we walk around boasting of the goodness of God and living our lives as if we are just doing something because, oh, we gotta do it. And God's hardly good to us. We don't perceive him as this great and marvelous and good God. And so we have the hardest time saying, I'm going to live my life in a way that other people will look on and say, they really believe that God's good. Maybe this God that they worship really is something. Take the testimony of your life and God's work in your life and use that as an opportunity to invite other people to come and taste and see for themselves that God is good. It's an invitation. It's not something that we're meant to just hide in a box and only open it when we can see it by ourselves. These are tools and resources and opportunities that God gives us to brag about Him. You'll never believe what God's doing. Guess what? Let me tell you about it. Sometimes people will look at you like you're cracked sideways. Sometimes, maybe, by the mercy of God, it'll make people think. Matthew Henry challenges us to have these, this attitude towards the opportunities that God's given us. To stop and to examine life. Sometimes we go so fast we never even take time to, to notice what God's doing. But he says that if we have grateful hearts towards God, we shall let slip no occasion which invites us to praise and honor him. Not only those things that are new and surprising, 
that are unusual or extraordinary, but also the common and ordinary works of God and His constant and daily benefits will affect our hearts with a devout and thankful remembrance of Him. Do you live at such a pace that you are unaware of the experience of God's goodness in your day-to-day life? Or are you just looking for the extraordinary and unusual and new and surprising and have turned your nose up to the ordinary, everyday experiences of God's goodness? Be thankful and share it with others. Then I'll just close with these two thoughts. As we teach others, people, how David includes a level of morality, right? Turning, keep your tongues from evil. He says, I'm going to tell you how to, uh, the, the fear of the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. We have repentance. And then he goes down and at the end of this whole thing. He says, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. There is redemption. Because you do not have the experience of God's goodness apart from redemption. That's, that's what we remember. In the exclamation point in David, I almost guarantee you did not know it as he wrote this psalm. But it is the reminder that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's goodness. Verse 20, he keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. Do you know where that exact verse is quoted? In John's Gospel when they're writing about Jesus who hung on the cross but not one of his bones were broken. I'm sure David had no idea what he was speaking of or speaking to as he wrote this. But oh, how God wove it in that we do not experience the goodness of God apart from Jesus. So you want to talk about living righteously before him? It is too high of a task. You cannot do it in your own strength. You must go through Jesus. You need redemption. It only comes through Jesus. That's it. So I encourage you in the year to come that it is not about resolutions. It's not about new habits. It's about looking to the goodness of God revealed in humanity, Jesus Christ. Learn from Him. Observe Him. Listen to him. Walk with him. Know him. And I promise you, you will experience the goodness of God in new ways. Because God says so. So we have a great opportunity laid before us. And a great invitation to come and to taste and see that God is good. And I want to leave you with one question to just kind of ponder this week. That if you viewed your life as a living, breathing billboard, leaving a review for the goodness of God, what kind of review are you leaving? 